any type of storytelling, you're hearing someone's voice that is not yours. It's not your head. It's not someone you're related to. It's another person's story. And therefore, they're now someone that you might consider even subconsciously. Hey everyone, Rhoda here, and I'm so excited to bring you episode 170 with Dahlia Asherina. Dahlia is the current resident director of the longest-running show on Broadway, a little number you may have heard about called The Phantom of the Opera. I don't know about you, but as someone who grew up with the sound of music and then became re-obsessed with all things musical when Hamilton was all the rage, learning that a young Assyrian woman was directing the show was a huge deal to me. We always say that Assyrians are everywhere and doing amazing things, but personally, this is a really cool place to see an Assyrian representing us. Dahlia and I spent some time talking about her upbringing in Turlock, California, and how she got into theater at a young age as well as her education in political science. I particularly enjoyed discussing how the arts have always helped shape cultural attitudes and messaging and what it means for art to be political. Dahlia transparently shares a lot about her journey. And if you're in the theater field listening to this episode or someone looking to get back into the field, then I think you'll find a lot to appreciate about Dahlia's journey. Other than theater, we also spoke about mixed identities and what it means to be the storyteller of your own life. This episode is sponsored by the Oshana Partners, a husband and wife real estate team. Are you considering purchasing or selling a home in Arizona or California? Well, John and Rita are available to help make your next real estate decision into a seamless transaction. Contact the Oshanas at 209-968-9519 and get to know them a bit more by checking out their website, theoshanapartners.com. Do you want to advertise with us? We've got a worldwide audience just waiting to hear about your business. To inquire, send us an email at info at And now, without further ado, here's Dahlia Asherina. Welcome to the Assyrian Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is incredible. I'm so excited to talk to you. And one of the ways that I like to start off conversations with people before getting to know what they are currently doing is where they come from and what grounds them. And so I found a poem on your Instagram that really highlighted for me growing up in Turlock. And One, I was wondering if you would read it. And two, I wanted to just talk to you about it. (laughs) Sure, I can read it. So just to start off, yes, I am from a small town in the Central Valley of California called Turlock, California. I love that it sounds like Duloc from Shrek. And it's really, I feel like if you go there now, it's more of a town. But when I was growing up there, like I remember the only thing to do was go to Walmart like I have very fond memories of of like Christmas time at Walmart. There were like so many decorations and yeah, so clearly there wasn't a lot to do. So I wrote this poem uh, when I went home 
uh, because of the pandemic, I was in New York and then it started getting very spooky here. Um, you got on the subway and everyone was sort of looking at each other, like, don't stand so close to me. And I remember, you know, we still had scarves on and people started sort of putting their scarves over their mouths because the CDC was still saying no masks. New York in the pandemic, not great. So anyway, I went home and was sort of feeling very nostalgic and remembering all these things from my childhood. So uh, here's the poem. There are little things you forget about the place you grew up. The name of the entity that deals with your city's trash. Turlock Scavenger is hilarious, an app name for a garbage collection service. The Chinese restaurant by the Save Mart. The flower and sports shop where you found your first Mighty Mouse VHS. The drive-through that leads to both the Little Caesars and the yogurt mill and is a traffic nightmare. Uh, your dad's favorite store that went out of business. The movie theater that is now a gym. Togo's and Quiznos. The eight different tiny Assyrian markets and which actually has the best lavash. The place my friend's mom made cakes. The KFC my acapella group in high school sang at. The road to the house I was never invited to or allowed to go to. The place my aunt tried to park to pick me up from kindergarten, and when the principal stopped her, she mustered her best English in her deliciously thick Assyrian accent to say, where do you want me to park? On my head? The outdoor section of Walmart at Christmas time. The little bags filled with water that held all those fish I tried to keep alive. The trees in November. The nursing home my grandma stayed at for a month. The basement, huge TV, stairs, wooden panels, and kitchen under the church I used to go to. The gas station where an old man offered to fill my tank because he saw me ask for $5 worth of gas at the counter. I'm tearing up as I'm reading this. <laughs> I know. Me too, because all of those things, as you were reading it, I was like, uh-huh, the Quiznos, the Togos, that yeah. terrible drive through <laughs> It's the worst. That's a traffic accident. <laughs> Tell me about your upbringing in Turlock, other than the things you mentioned in that <laughs> poem. What was it like for you to grow up in a small town? So I, I'm an only child. Um, I have a million cousins and they were always over all the time, but ultimately I was still an only child. And honestly, I think it was a little lonely. Um, I feel like I, I found theater sort of later on. Um, I auditioned for my first musical. It was Susical uh, in sixth grade, and it was actually for the high schoolers. And I didn't know. I just wanted to do it. Like, I didn't have any information. I just saw a flyer. And I, I, I didn't make it, obviously. And I was so heartbroken because I was like, this was my chance, you know, um, to, you know, be in a group of people that like the same things as me. But that being said, I have really good friends in middle school and high school. Like I had a best friend, her name is Jillian. And then moving towards high school, Amber and, uh, Janae were sort of my close friends as well. So, uh, I then found theater. Like I started doing it in high school. Um, my, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year. I found like my group of theater people with Sherlock Youth Performing Arts. And that really changed everything for me. That was sort of like, okay, these are my people. I feel sort of connected to a group. So I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of hard being like you know, a weird artsy kid where there's not a lot of resources for that. Like my parents aren't in the arts. None of my family really is. So 
to be the person that's like, I want to do theater. I'm going to Broadway. Like, they're like, what's that? You, you have to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> what made you realize that you like the arts or you wanted to do anything like theater before that sixth grade, uh, when you were in sixth grade and you wanted to audition for that musical? I've always sort of expressed myself through art. Like even as a kid, I was always drawing uh, or like doing puzzles or like, it was always sort of that, like that was always my interest. Um, I really wasn't into like math or science or anything. So I think I was just leaning towards art things anyway. And then I saw a flyer for a musical and I was like, oh, I don't even really know what this is, but it sounds exciting. I had my dad's very old like camcorder and uh, my cousins, my younger cousins and I would remake movies uh, with this camera. And, you know, it's not our iPhones are incredible. It wasn't like that. It was like it was a piece of film. So it was you had to record over the film. And so I don't know how many like the editing of it was really um my younger cousin Andrew would play a bunch of the characters. So he would like put on a wig. I would film him from one way. He'd put on another wig and I'd film him like speaking to himself. <laughs> and so it was- How old were you guys? Oh gosh, I don't know. I was probably in middle school and they were in elementary school and they were just excited to hang out, you know? Um, so I don't, that's just always kind of been my interest. My dad loved movies. So, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, I have influence from that. Uh, and yeah, the internet's great. <laughs> I found like musicals on YouTube, which I loved. Like um, still my favorite, uh, Patti Lapone. I feel like I found her videos on YouTube and I was like, what is this? These people can do anything they want on stage. And I thought that was incredible. So your um, your love for directing people started when you were a kid, it seems like. Yes. And I honestly forgot about that uh, because I got into acting and like musical theater and I found directing back in college and I was like, oh, I've been doing this. This is my favorite thing. It's sort of my natural want or whatever. So that was exciting. Do you remember the first role you played when you uh, joined the theater company? Oh, yeah, I was. My first musical was Annie Get Your Gun. Um, and I was just an ensemble member, uh, but I had a really great blue dress and I was so excited. I was so freaking excited. Like I was, I told everyone at school, I'd be like, oh yeah, I have rehearsal after school. <laughs> what was your parents' reaction when you clearly showed interest in theater? You know what? They, for being not supportive, they were supportive. Like they would drive me where, you know, where I needed to go to go to rehearsal. Like, um, I did a show at Merced Playhouse once and Merced is, you know, it's like 40 minutes away from Turlock and they would drive me there for rehearsal. Um, and it was sort of, you know, a, a little bit of a reluctance to be like, is this really what you're doing? Or we really like your hobby, wink, wink, you know? Um, honestly, I don't know. I, it's always sort of been like, this is fun. People have hobbies. They do things for fun. And we're glad that you found what you're doing for fun. <laughs> um, what, what is your parents' background? At what, when did they um, come to the United States? So um, my mom's family is from Baghdad. Um, they came here, I, when was it? I think in the 70s, they got here. They left 
Iraq before that, and they sort of traveled around before they got in. My, I'm, I'm half Assyrian, so my mom's family's from Baghdad, and my dad is from Florida. <laughs> He's just American. And they met in LA. It's so random, but I love it. What an interesting story. So how did he end up in LA where he met your mom? Uh, I believe his sister lived there and he just wanted to change. So he moved to LA and they met at a stoplight, which is like, how am I here? What happened? <laughs> it's so random. Yeah, they're both in. So my dad's sort of in real estate and my mom uh, works on like home loans and she was a hairdresser for a while. And what made them move to Turlock? Well, they were in LA and well, Turlock has a big Assyrian community, as you know, uh, and um, they didn't want to raise their kid in LA. They were like, let's try to go to a smaller town. Um, yeah, it's tough. Neither of them were from there. And it's sort of like, you know, I, I totally understand. It wasn't really home for either one of them. Yeah, yeah. And um yeah, and it, it was a big city, and neither of them, I mean, you know, I guess my mom is, is from a big city, but it's just different. So, um, yeah. Um, so you get to high school, you start acting, mm -hmm. and you feel like you've kind of met your tribe, and your parents think this is just a hobby and it's going to wear off. <laughs> yes. And it doesn't, clearly. And then you go to college and what did you decide to major in in college and why so i went to uc irvine because they had a really good musical theater uh department and i went there whole 100 wholeheartedly being like i'm going to get the bfa musical theater there and at irvine um you have we had to audition for a lot of the musical theater classes actually not all of them um and so it was very competitive and only a certain group of people got the BFA at the very end of, of your college career or whatever. Um, and so I went in wholeheartedly for that and sort of like, honestly, I didn't think that I found my place in that program really. Um, I didn't get into, um, I didn't get into one of the classes, I think at the end of my sophomore year, and I was sort of looking to fill the spot and I took a directing class and I was like, oh, right. This is what I like. This is like my thing. Uh, and it was so exciting. Um, it was, I actually, I really owe that class a lot because it was so like free form. It was really like, we just made a bunch of projects and scenes and, um, it was really exciting and I think I my creativity like blossomed there and I, I sort of was given permission to do all the things that I didn't even know I wanted to do. Um, so that was my like theater life there. Also, I was not going to college unless I also got another degree because my parents were like, what? Um, so I settled on political science. I had a minor in, in poli sci. And honestly, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it. Like, to be honest, I was doing it because my parents wanted me to do it. And they sort of was, were like, you're not going, we're not, we're not sending you to school to just do arts. You have to do something else. So um, as I'm sure everyone listening to this understands, <laughs> Uh, and I don't blame them. They don't know anything about this. It's just like art. And what are you going to do? Dance on stage, you know? So 
uh, with poli sci, I kind of fell into it and I really liked the psychology aspect of it. Um, it was very interesting. And I actually learned that I did my best artistic work when I had sort of a counterbalance. Like if I was just making art all the time, I felt like I was um, not having things to pull from as much, but I learned that my brain really worked well if I was doing like a more, you know, non-artistic thing and an artistic thing. When I was in grad school, I learned to bake. And it was because one of my professors told me that, you know, when you're reading and doing lots of writing, words are kind of flowing out of you, if you will. And um, there's like, you just keep writing and there's no like science to it, if you will. And she said that um, baking, because it's so precise and you have to measure things, it allows your brain to like rest from that like free flow of writing when you switch and focus on like measuring things by the spoonfuls and, you know, a cup and half a cup. And then you bake it and then you go back to writing and then you have something to enjoy. <laughs> I, I just thought of that when you were saying this. I, that's brilliant. I, I've never heard that. I totally agree. Yes. It was, um, yeah, it really changed my, my life really, because I find that like when I'm, when I have all this chaos going on, if I can just like focus on baking a cake or banana bread or whatever it might be, um, I am more in control and I know a cup of this, half a cup of this and you know, so on and so forth. So, um, I was wondering about the connection between poli sci and theater. Partly because I was like, did she just major in poli sci just for her parents? Because I think that's like a typical story we hear. But I was also thinking about politics in general and how much of it is acting. Um, oh, yeah. I was wondering if that ever occurred to you and what you think about that. Absolutely. Um, no matter what anyone's perception of theater is theater is so political the fluffiest musical you can find has a political message of some kind and honestly i personally think it's a great uh it's a great messenger because you're laughing and singing and it's all a good time and then you're like oh i learned something about something you know it's it's the best it's I feel like it's more effective than someone hitting someone over the head with a message over and over and over again. So that being said, yes, it's connected. I don't, don't let anyone tell you different. <laughs> and the major honestly taught me a lot of context for things like um, a big, there's different like paths you could have sort of taken on the major. And one of them is, um, it's been a while. I'm sorry. I'm probably going to butcher this, but it was sort of the study of like how societies work. Um, and there's all these different philosophers that have these different um, viewpoints on how, what human nature is. So that was a big thing that we studied. And, oh, that's theater. I, it's the same, it's the literally the same practice. It's, it's analyzing how people work and, and recreating it. And one is an art and one is a science, but it's really, really connected. I think about all the ways in which the arts have always been involved in politics. And now I'm thinking of that Motown song. What is it good for? Absolutely. War. Oh, yes, yeah, of course. Absolutely nothing. What is it good for? 
we all we're so alike it's like here's a video talking about how different we are how different we feel and it was just everyone feels different and that's amazing so in all the way we feel in all the ways we feel different we are all feeling the same thing yeah yeah really we a couple weeks ago we had um a group of people on mm -hmm. the podcast who had married Assyrians. Oh, they I weren't Assyrians. <laughs> yeah, but they weren't Assyrians themselves. Yeah. And one of the one of the guests we had, um, she is South African. Mm. And she said something that I've been thinking about a lot, which is um that someone referred to or she referred to her kids as half this and half that. And someone told her they're not half anything. They are fully uh, Assyrian and fully South African. And in some ways, now that they live in Canada, fully Canadian. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have some of this and some of that. You can be wholly multiple things and create this new identity. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, as I was thinking about mixed and the ways in which it celebrates identities that are bicultural and biracial. I thought of her comment and I was just wondering in all the ways that you can feel not at home in, in either culture, either place, like even like living in New York and going back to Turlock, like that can have some tension, right? Oh, certainly. Yes. Yeah. I was wondering in what ways do you fully feel one thing or another and then have like brought those things together to form your new identity? What a good question. Um, I'll be honest, it's something that I've always really struggled with. It's, um, I, it's, it's tough because we don't like, I feel like we as humans don't like that. Like we don't like the uncertain, like people just want to be like, what are you? And that's tough. I mean, that's been the cause of centuries of like murder, you know, and torture and all these other things. To go back to your question, I don't know if I figured that out. I don't know. And I think that's, Maybe I'm always trying to figure it out and I don't know. I, I honestly, I feel like I, I I really identify as being a Syrian. I feel like there's 10 of us and I have to. Um, like I have to sort of be like, we're here, okay? And I grew up with my Syrian family. Like I sort of rarely saw the other side. And so I was, I grew up at my Nana's house. Like that's completely sort of the culture I was in. So. Yes, I think I I think I identify as an artist. Honestly, I think that's my that's sort of the fullest identity I can pull from is that um I don't know if that sounds cheesy or whatever, but I don't know. That's how I feel. It makes me feel connected to everything. So <laughs> sure. uh I've seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding like a million times. It was it's like one of my parents' favorite movie and I feel like when they watch it together they're really sort of like sentimental about it. <laughs> Um, and, uh, that's, I, th that was the experience. <laughs> that sure. was, that was the experience. Um, and I think what people, one of my friends actually said this recently, but 
she had said, uh, shout out Delina, if you're listening to this, but she had said, I didn't realize when I was younger that it was a movie about immigrants. Um, and it's like, yeah. And, and sort of trying to, you know, stay themselves and also be in this new place. Um, so to answer your question, I, I feel like my dad understands Assyrian really well, but sort of won't speak it. <laughs> I hadn't thought about my big fat Greek wedding being about immigrants either, even though like the grandma and her reaction, just like vivid and visceral, you know, reaction to the genocide and the trauma of the genocide. Um, it's dark. And yet like, you know, it's a, it's a comedy. But yeah, they were trying to figure it out just like Assyrians in so many ways. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's such a, it's such like a universal story. And I don't just mean that movie, but that story of, of coming into a new place and I don't know, just trying to have a normal life, you know, that's all anyone wants. Yeah, and like the, the balancing act of like not losing your identity and then yep. also like fitting into this new space because I feel like that is the immigrant story in so many ways. I wanted to ask you about directing versus acting, which like in some ways you, I feel like answered that, but I was also wondering about, do you miss anything about acting once you, was there something you missed about acting once you decided, okay, no, this is what I want to be doing. Yes. Acting has a freedom, I think, that only exists on stage. And I think I miss that because directing is really like, you kind of just have to have your stuff together. Um, and yes, yes, you have room to be an artist and to be messy and make mistakes and everything, but it's just not the same. You're, you're, you sort of, you have to like lead a group of people. So there's less room to like make big choices and in that sort of thing. And, you know, you could look at it at the other side and be like, well, you're, you're making big choices about everything, about an entire production. It just, I feel like it, it doesn't have the playfulness that acting does. And I miss that. Yeah. And in some ways you have to like trust someone else to do it when like, to bring that vision that you have in your head the way you would do it in mm -hmm. some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so you graduate UC Irvine. Mm -hmm. To go back to that and kind of go chronologically, you graduate UC Irvine and then what happens? When I was at UCI, I uh, there was a grad directing program at UCI. Um, one of the students had left and so I got to take their classes basically like the teach I'm so grateful for her she's she was like my mentor um she sort of gave me everything so I'm very grateful for her um and there were two directing teachers there at the time um Jane and Juliet and they're both so incredible and sort of gave me opportunities after college so as soon as I graduated um I uh did Jane cast me in a show in um, Colorado Springs. So I was acting. My first job was an acting job. Uh, and it was much ado about nothing. Um, you're, a, you're a literature person. You know Shakespeare. That's my favorite Shakespeare play. And I, a lot of people don't say that because there's like the big stuff. But 
I love much ado about nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's just about two people. I lo I love it. I love it. So I played hero so long ago. This feels like so long ago, but it was such a fun summer. It was in the mountains. It was great. Uh, and then I came back to LA where my other professor had gotten me a like assistant directing job at um, a theater company that she was in. That's so incredible. Cornerstone theater. It's, they do incredible work in Los Angeles. Um, and so I worked there and then that director directed, was directing something at um, the Kirk Douglas theater in LA, which is part of center theater group, which is amazing. Uh, and he sort of took me and his other assistant, Bruce, with him. And it was the best. I was sort of like, is this how this works? This is amazing. Uh, and so I kind of just immediately was really put into these places because of the connections I made in school. Any aspiring artists, connections, make friends, get people on your side. That was after that. Um, and then I worked as like a... Um, I was like an assistant theater teacher. I've had a million weird jobs. Like I was a teacher. Uh, I worked in a mail room. Um, I like a lot of reception and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of like this stuff along the way, like filling in the gaps of these things. But I did a few workshops in LA. Um, I directed like a short play for a festival. Um, and then I got a directing fellowship at Arena Stage in DC. And I was there for about a year um, and I assisted four different directors on four different projects. That was like a full education. <laughs> um, I didn't go to grad school. I feel like that was my grad school a little bit. And uh, after that, I moved to New York and was doing the directing thing, like applying to a million things and getting rejected from almost everything all the time and still just trying, like still just like trying to put up projects and I put up a few readings that my of plays my friends were doing or not readings they're like kind of like workshops but uh, and then the pandemic happened and now we're here okay so you talked about workshops mm -hmm. my only reference for this is um I watched um the, that movie about Jonathan Larson recently uh TikTok boom Oh yeah, tick tick boom. I still tick, haven't tick, seen it, but I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I need to see it, but yeah. It's really good. Um, so he does this thing where like he has a play, he brings a bunch of actors, <laughs> and then they basically perform without performing. Cause I'm I guess they're performing. They're like sitting down and there's a bunch of people watching, and then he finds out if like someone's gonna pick it up. Is that what you mean by workshop? Uh, yes, I do. That's okay. a great I need to see this movie. Apparently <laughs> it's exactly what I do. <laughs> Yeah. So is that what you have to do? Like you want to be, you want to be directing a play. Do you have to, like, do you, how do you find the material that you want to direct? What is that process like? Um, good question. It's like, you know, when you're starting out, everyone's always like, how do you be a director? How do you get into this? Um, there is no one way there's, there's just, you can see what other people have done and try to follow in their footsteps, but ultimately it's just, it's not like acting. You don't audition. It's just not like that. So what's helpful to me and what has been helpful to me, and I'm saying that with a grain of salt because like I said, everyone has their own thing, but I have found success in just meeting playwrights and people and 
um, and reading their work. And if we connect on like a personal level and I connect with their work, it's sort of the thing of being like, hey, let's put this up. Let's work on this with actors and, and make a performance out of it. And that's sort of like step one, right? And then hypothetically, after a new play has a workshop of it, um, maybe the playwright will go back and make edits because they've learned something from having a, having an audience. Like, oh, that joke doesn't land. This joke really lands. They like this character storyline. Um, I'm missing pieces of this other character storyline that I think I need. Uh, and then hopefully you kind of keep doing this and, and presenting work to a theater. Like, I, you know, I think, or what I've heard a lot of the time is like going to a theater and presenting a play, like, hi, I'm a director. I want to present this work um, because of X, Y, Z. I want to do this play now because it's relating to whatever, insert anything here. Um, and that's, that's how there's so many fellowships and like assistantships and that sort of thing that gets you connected with more people. Um, and my job, I'm a, I'm the, so I'm a resident director, which means uh, I keep up the artistic vision of what the director has set. So for Phantom of the Opera, it's, um, he was a director named Hal Prince. Rest in peace. He's a complete legend, if you don't know who he is. He's directed some of the biggest pieces of theater. So my job is to uphold his vision and keep the play fresh and work with the actors and so i have to ask you how on earth did you land <laughs> being a resident director of phantom of the opera you know what i to be honest i don't exactly know how they got my information i don't know if someone recommended me i don't know if i was on some list like i can't really tell you there's this really great director um named Kareem and he created this database of um of BIPOC directors and you can sort of put what your specialty is and whatever so it might have been from that I don't know that being said I got an email uh coming out of the pandemic and it was like hi we're looking for a resident director for Phantom of the Opera and I thought it was a joke I called, I called like my friends and I was like, is this real? Because theater doesn't work like this. There's no job postings. It's all like nebulous, whatever. So um, my boss at the time, uh, she was like, just call, call. There's a number on the email. And I called and it was this HR company. And um, they were like, oh, you're the first person to respond. We're so glad you called us. Here's an interview date. And so I interviewed with her. And then I had two other interviews with the production supervisor, general manager, and company manager. And here we are. <laughs> That's amazing. That's sort of how I heard about you is Peter, uh, one of the hosts of the podcast. He shared your Instagram profile with us. And I, I thought, wait, what? There's an Assyrian in New York being the resident director of the fan, like the Phantom of the Opera. The, T-H-E-E, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. I have to know what that interview process was like for you. And like, yeah. are you constantly pinching yourself? Because like, is this real life? That's really, really cool. 
is this real life? I ask myself all the time. It's really strange because in a way, I feel like this was the easiest thing I've gotten, sort of the easiest to come because I didn't, I wasn't even seeking this. Um, and I feel like I was like just putting myself out there constantly for all the time before that. And so this almost felt like this was kind of easy um, because everything else had been so difficult prior. Yeah, I don't know. When something's yours, it's yours. I don't know what else to say about it. If it's meant to be, that's what it is. And I think I'm, I sh if there are any other Syrians on Broadway, please let me know. I don't think there are. <laughs> um, so that's just it's so cool. I'm, I don't take that lightly. It's like, it's amazing. You talked a little bit about what it means to be the resident director, which is you're upholding the vision. Do you still get to be creative and have some art, take some artistic liberties, if you will, or are you very, like, are you in this structure and you can't move away from it? There is certainly a, a structure, like there's a way that it should be. That being said, you're working with, I don't know how many people work on this show. Altogether, it's probably like 100 people, if not more. And of course, I'm not talking to all those people, maybe ever. But with the actors, like everyone comes in and is an artist. Like they come in with choices and they have, like I said, acting has a sort of freedom that I think directing doesn't. They're coming in making choices and they're sort of, you know, if we make this sort of sandbox, this is directing in general, but it's sort of the director's job to like make a sandbox of, okay, this is your play area. You have to stay in here, but you can play. And I think that's when the best choices are made. Um, it's the same thing as like, if you're looking at a blank piece of paper, it's almost impossible to start drawing. But um if there's a squiggle line, all of a sudden you have you have a chance of making something. So, side tangent with this sh putting that on this show, um, the show has been directed by Hal Prince. No one's coming in and saying I'm going to change things. That being said, there are things that can happen. Like with this, um, with the new sort of reboot of the show because it was closed during the pandemic. Um, we had a whole rehearsal process where my boss sort of re-rehearse the show and put it up and in that process he really tried to like give the character of Christine more agency in the show um you know the show was came out in the 80s different time period and so there's little things where before I I don't know how much I need to explain about the show but the, you know there's a character Christine and Raul and in in a scene where Christine would have walked to Raul to to say something to him, she holds her ground and he walks to her. So it just changes the sort of her power in the situations. Um, and so it's little tweaks like that, that I do have some agency to make, of course, like, you know, talking to my boss and talking about like, does this hold the integrity of what it should be? And if the answer is yes, it's probably okay. If the answer is no, then it's probably not okay. But there's a lot to, there's a kind of a lot of tweaks and acting intentions and in that that can be done and there's room for that does that answer the question yeah totally okay. I'm, I'm singing in my head christy da, da, da. <laughs> yeah literally that scene it's like you know so before you got the gig of, on phantom what were your experiences with the phantom of the opera like had you 
been a part of the production of it previously? What were your experiences with that? No, so this was my first time working on it. And they wanted someone that was new to the production because what's kind of incredible about Phantom is that there have been so many productions of it worldwide in different languages. They could have pulled from, I don't know how many people, but um, to my understanding, they wanted someone new to it to have fresh eyes on it. And, you know, it's 2022 at the time, 21. And I think they just wanted a younger person with a different perspective. In what ways do you feel like what you've brought to this production has um, not, I don't want to say changed, but like in what ways do you feel like those, that fresh set of eyes has um, impacted this particular production? Well, first of all, I'm a younger person and I feel like I may have different, I don't know, I guess tastes or something. And I don't have a long history with the show. So I, don't have a lot of like sentimental value attached to, oh, this is how this has been sung, or this is how, this is the way it's supposed to be. Like I learned the show through um, the production supervisor's re-rehearsal of the show. And he's such a great director and he really like, I feel like he really looks at the actors and, and makes decisions based on what they're bringing, which is, the mark of a great director, I mean, you know, you can put whatever you want on people, but if it's not coming from them, it's not going to be truthful or good. So in that realm, like just me being a part of the production, I feel like my notes and my view on things makes a difference. Like there's there's a lot of times where I'll, you know, give an actor a note because that's how it's been. That's the note that's been given to other actors. They'll tell me, oh, actually, could I do this instead? Like that doesn't feel truthful to me or whatever. And if it's in the world of what's supposed to be happening, I can sort of be like, sure, try that. Let's see what happens. And when did you move back to New York? Um, like what was the timeline of when you got the job on Phantom? Oh, there's no timeline. Oh. I, I By that, I mean, I was here on like a writing retreat and then I got my third interview and they were like, okay, you're hired. So I never went home. I had a suitcase and was here and I had to find an apartment in like four days. It was just like, go, 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 go. My friend Anita, she's the best. I stayed with her until I found an apartment. I found an apartment in her building. It, it was wild. It was like sort of the ride of a lifetime. <laughs> had your family had a chance to come out and see the show? Yes, they have. My my parents have. Uh, my cousin and aunt have. Who else? I've had a lot of friends that have come. I was thinking about New York and you being from Turlock. And I'm curious what in what ways that or like what have you learned about yourself living in a big city well being from california is one thing and not from new york that's or not the east coast like it's it's i mean you're living in michigan it's really different right like it's just not the same vibe at all um and i feel like i feel like i've had an okay time in new york because i lived in dc first and in my opinion dc is is like a harder place than New York. And 
it's just tough. Everyone's going at like a hundred miles an hour. And if you can't keep up, then you just can't keep up and that's it. So I feel like I've sort of, I don't know. I don't even know if I've totally learned this already, but I feel like I'm just sort of learning to like, I don't know, hurry up or something or like stay on my toes. Everyone's in a hurry in New York. Oh yeah. Well, what I, my, my favorite thing that's happened in New York and I think uh, really tells you how it is, is I was uh, getting on the subway and there was this like intern or something. It was this young girl and she was holding a bunch of papers in her hand, like who knows, delivering them to whatever. And she drops them all and they go everywhere. They're on the subway, they're on the platform and everyone getting on the subway is angry that this happened, but they're picking up the papers. <laughs> they're like in a rush, angry, like kind of look, looking at her, like what's wrong with you and picking up the papers and giving them to her nicely. So it's it's both things. It's like the I'm in a rush and also we're all in this together. So because I like theater so much, I've got like a lightning round Broadway edition. For bring you. it, bring it. All right. Favorite Broadway show? Sweeney Todd, no question. Which Broadway actor would you want to direct? Oh, I don't know this. I have a favorite actress, Patty Lapone, but I would not want to direct her. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she's the best. I would just be scared. Uh, and oh, I don't know. My best friend. She's on Broadway right now. Shout out Anita. I want to direct her. <laughs> okay. I, I feel like um, you didn't really answer that, but that's okay. <laughs> because I don't know. I know. I know. Okay. Um, who is your favorite? favorite character from a Broadway show? Um, so my favorite musical, Sweeney Todd, Mrs. Lovett is my favorite character. Do you have a favorite Broadway show turn to movie that like you approve of? Hairspray is great. I'll say that. Hairspray, really good. Um, like the movie's also good. Uh, that's my answer. That's what I'll say. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. What show would you want to direct next well okay i'm writing a musical that's what i want to direct <laughs> okay yeah, yeah um that's what i want or um or sweeney Todd. but uh i mean i'm i'm honestly currently in like a writing phase like i feel like my directing is sort of my directing brain is being taken care of and i'm looking for more like creativity i guess so the musical i'm writing that's what i want to direct well, I was going to ask you what's next for you, but I feel like you just answered that. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking, to be honest, I'm always looking for new plays that are interesting. I, my, um, my love is sort of like Middle Eastern work and characters and stuff, but I, I want to direct like comedies and I feel like the genre doesn't really exist. And so I'm always like looking for it. I'm like, can we get some joy? Can we get some like happiness? There's, you know, there's a new play coming out on Broadway, Kite Runner, and it's it's all the same, it's the same genre, which is sort of like it's all traumatic. Is and it based on the book? Yes. It it might be great. I don't know. Um, but I guess I'm just interested in 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 joyous theater, I guess. Have you read Kite Runner? I haven't, but I've just like read this synopsis and really sad yes and and all my eyes out sad yes uh and 
you know, that's the only representation that we get. And that's very frustrating. Gosh, that um, there's something that I, I saw something recently about um, joy not being represented enough in minority communities. And like, yeah. we're the only ones that will tell the story of our joy because it's easy to tell the story of our pain. Yep. And it's a lot harder to authentically tell the story of, of our joy. So I hope you do that because that would be awesome. Thanks. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Have you had a chance to meet any other Assyrians in theater? I know you said you don't know any Assyrians on Broadway, like working on Broadway currently. Have you ever had a chance to meet any just in the theater world? Um, I met this wonderful artist, Martin uh, Yosef Zabari, and uh, they're Assyrian, and they're currently working on, they're acting in a show called Drowning in Cairo, which is uh, currently playing in San Francisco at Golden Thread, which my friend Adam is writing. Shout out all those people. Everyone's working. I love it. Um, but uh, their play Leilina is uh, going to be in Chicago. I believe it is at, let me see here. The Goodman. It's at the Good, yeah, it's at the Goodman Theater, which is incredible. So they had a reading or workshop or something, and then the theater picked it up. So it's, I'm like so thrilled. The play is in my inbox. I still need to read it. I'm excited. We always like to end all of our interviews with one question, which is mm -hmm. we have people listening from around the world. Yeah. If you could say one thing to all of them, what would it be? I think I would say if, if there are any artists listening, because uh, I feel like maybe that's who I can speak to, although I think this is sort of universal, there's only one of you. And there's no use in trying to be the next whoever, because that person already exists. So if you have something to say in art you want to make, whatever it is to you, that's that's going to be the most impactful. That's going to be honestly like how you get your, your voice out there. Like that's important. What you have to say is important. And especially as Assyrians, you know, I kind of made a joke that there's like 10 of us earlier and tell, tell your story. And I, I do agree that I feel like the only attention that gets put on Assyrian artists is when they're making specifically Assyrian art. And I just want to say that whatever you do has that influence, even if it's about something else. And, all, you know, all of that is so important. Have you heard of um, Toni Morrison saying why she wrote her first book? No. Toni Morrison said that she decided to write her first book because the book that she wanted to read had not yet been written. Yep. Yes. 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 Um, that's why I'm writing. Like that's, that's what it is. Find the thing that you want to read. I think that's brilliant. I mean, who can say it better than Toni Morrison, you know? The yes. one and only. Well, that, that does remind me of what you said about like, I want to tell the story of our joy. Um, cause mm -hmm. that's not out there. So that's, it's not. Idea. Well, yeah. Dahlia, it was so wonderful getting to know you and talking to you. I know that a lot of people who listen to the podcast are really into the arts, and I hope that they take away um, from what you said um, some motivation and encouragement 
and inspiration. And I know all of our listeners who may not be in the world of art, um, they always love hearing about Assyrians doing really awesome things. And what you're doing is so great. And I'm so happy that I got to meet you and talk to you. I'm so glad. And anyone listening, follow me on Instagram. Talk to me. Let's talk. I'm here for it. That's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time.